AOL email. You got an AOL email. <laughs> Dear Jesus, you're just not going to mesh with the way we do business. Have you been looking for a business podcast with hosts and guests who don't have a stick up their ass? Yeah, I said it. Damn! Well, if so, welcome to your new home, brother. Brother. This is My Fence Life. Woo! Our three passions are beer, bourbon, and business. And probably in that order. We're bringing on business owners who share tips, tricks, and behind-the-scenes stories to help your business be more successful. And we drink during the show. So no matter what industry you're in, pop a cold one and come on in. Welcome to the My Fence Life Studio. What's happening? Somebody's got their volume turned up. <laughs> Must have been me. Guys, I'm all discombobulated today. I uh, Sorry y'all didn't get to hear the whole intro, but I just realized I had myself uh, muted, so you didn't get to hear all that. Um, who's this guy sitting next to me? Clint Imes. NASCA Executive Director. What's happening, man? Not too much. How are you doing today, Dan? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Let me get down to some business, though, man, before we get into this show. Uh, Guys, we're on episode 84 of season four. Tonight, we're going to sit down with the $60 million man and try to stay on target and talk about diversification, overcoming failures, and data, data mining. But uh, first, we gotta we gotta let y'all know who this guy Clint is. If you heard me do an interview with him on uh, the Ask Me About My Day phone call, I gave a rundown of who he was because uh, I didn't think I'd ever have him on the show and actually do what I'm doing today. But I talked to Clint, and Clint was like, "Hey man, I want to sit in and be a celebrity co-host." I was like, "All right, let's do it." So uh, he lives in Amity, uh, Pennsylvania. He's married with f- uh, four kids. He's a second-generation uh, fencer. Uh, family business started in 1981. He grew up along with his parents doing fence jobs since he was knee-high to a grasshopper. Graduated from Washington and Jefferson College with a degree in accounting and entrepreneurial studies. Uh, he decided he wanted to do something with his degree, so he went off and got a big-boy job and uh, at a place called KPMG out of Pittsburgh. That's a uh, tax audit and advisory firm. And uh, he worked in the audit division and he uh, audited people and did stuff with steel companies, all that good stuff. Um, I asked him why he didn't go straight into the family business. And his response was, and it kind of shocked me. Hey, I wanted to uh, come to the table with a little bit more than knowing fencing. And that's what he did when it came to accounting and numbers and so forth. So after four years of punching a calculator, and being buried under numbers, he decided to go back to his roots, help his parents over at log cabin fence and ag fencing, and uh, bring back what he learned to, in the business world and uh, help them install farm and ranch fence. Uh, he also does fabric hoop structures, and uh, he manufactures his own brand of post drivers and sells all types of other various farm equipment. Man, those post drivers are getting really popular, too. Um, he spends his days estimating jobs and overseeing the install crews and 
being the NAFCA executive director. That's the uh, North American Fence Association, uh, North American Fence Contractors Association. For those that don't know, I always screw that up. <clears throat> he even co-instructs the uh, farm and ranch classes at NAFCA's training school. And, uh, I mean, this guy does a lot of shit. It's like, what else doesn't he do? And he's like, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. I just recently completed my master's in taxation and MBA at Robert Morris University. And my response to that was, boy, I bet you you are the life of the party, <laughs> <you> know, buddy. <laughs> you got to drink plenty of bourbon to have fun after those classes. Yeah, yeah. Hey, what are we going to talk about? Uh, pie equals, I don't know, whatever tax people talk about, right? <laughs> I have no idea as long as they're not talking about me, right? So the IRS agents off you. Yeah, really. So uh, now for the guest. And man, I'm going to need a drink after doing all this talking. Clint, I hope y'all got a lot to talk about, man, because I'm going to be hoarse after all this bio slash introduction bullshit we're doing. But it's important. So I don't know this guy. I don't have a rapport with him. Uh did a, about a one-hour Zoom maybe with him and talked to him about 20 minutes prior to the show tonight. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we got Clint. Clint knows the guy pretty well, and he's like, man, this guy would be great for your show. So here we go. Uh, it's like I got two guests on tonight. <clears throat> this cat, he lives in Richmond, Virginia, enjoys spending time with his family, learning to surf and staying fit. He's married with three boys, and hopefully they'll be future fences of America, grew up in New York, but decided when he was 23 to move to Virginia Beach because at the time his brother was in the Navy and uh, he needed a new start in life. He was struggling with some substance abuse, man. And uh, three years later, the age of 26, he kicked all his bad habits, got sober, and he's been like that for 17 years. Kudos to you, man. Uh, in his spare time, he gives back to that same stuff, substance abuse community by volunteering on the board of the same nonprofit that helped him get sober and also helped him get his current job slash business. Uh, he started in construction as a general laborer, and it lasted about five years before he tripped and fell into this wonderful industry we all know and love, fencing. Uh, he ended up getting a job fencing in a, in a night in wait, he ended up getting a job fencing in 1994. Because one of his mentors, while getting sober, a guy by the name of John, Lo how do you say that, Clint Lotus? Lotus? <clears throat> anyway, he, he mentored him. But just so happened, John had been in fencing and uh, had started a company called Hurricane Fence with a guy by the name of Dennis back in 81. And I hope I'm getting all this right. Oh, man, I'm really going to need a drink after all this. Sadly... John passed away in 2017, and uh, Dennis became majority owner, and he would eventually end up giving this guy an opportunity to become part owner. Uh, with the guidance of Dennis and the other partner, Todd, they've uh, taught and mentored him throughout his time at Hurricane Fence and together now run three branches, I think it is, or three and a half, he was saying. I don't know how that works, but they're in the Virginia Beach, Raleigh, North Carolina area. And this cat's doing $60 million plus in sales annually in residential, commercial, industrial, and government fencing. They have 80 to 90 employees and have been around since 1998. So basically, this guy kind of makes me feel like a failure because I started in 1999 and I'm nowhere near $6 million in sales. But 
We'll talk about that another day. But we're going to go ahead and bring him on real quick, guys. What's happening, Mr. Mike Kelly of Hurricane Fence? What's going on? What do you say, guys? How y'all doing tonight? Well, I'm doing great, man. I'm just going to let y'all just take the show over, and I'm going to kick back and uh, eat, an, uh, <laughs> eat a lozenger. And, uh... <laughs> I've had the opportunity to get to know Mike through the NAFCA Arlington Service Project. Uh, Mike's company, Hurricane, has been instrumental in the last few years with everything we've done at Arlington. Uh, and I've enjoyed getting to know Mike. So whenever you reached out asking if I knew of somebody who might be a, a good fit for the show or be able to provide some value to your guest, my first thought was Mike. Yeah, yeah. From what I've talked to Mike, man, he's a he's a sharp cat, you know. I appreciate that, guys. Clint, I appreciate the intro and uh, Dan as well. You know, Clint, meeting you was was great. Um, I had I was looking to give back to the, you know, to the industry that has given me so much, and and watching what you're doing up there, you know, is is just fantastic. And being able to be a part of it's been uh, instrumental to me having new energy in, within the industry for myself. So anyway, guys, we're going to uh, get down a little bit of business since um, Mr. Mike's had his intro. And we can't forget we've got, uh, we've got our big shout out to at Successful Contractor YouTube channel. Go to SWIFence.com and uh, they're your home for fencing tools, fencing supplies, and everything you need for the no-dig fencing system. And word on the street is you either get a flip-flop keychain to hang from your rearview mirror or you get a rubber chicken with every order. And I'm not lying. Look, I got one of those in my order this week. <laughs> got my rubber chicken. I couldn't believe it. So actually, we got two rubber chickens. I'm finding out if you make multiple orders, you get multiple chickens. So now we got them all over the office. What do y'all think about that? Y'all got a multiple, uh, you got a, a chicken around running around your office or what? We're, we're not that lucky. <laughs> So anyway, guys, let's let's get down to business, man. We um we're gonna talk a little bit about diversification, a little bit about data, a little about overcoming failures. This was uh, a couple things that we had talked about in the Zoom, and and uh, we felt like it was something that we could share with our listeners that would really matter. Mm-hmm. You know, when you got a guy that's uh, like Clint, he's been in the fencing industry his whole life because his parents. Um, you got a guy like uh, Mike, who's running a huge company with 80, 90 employees, you know, crews all over the place. You're going to have some failures. You're going to have to learn to diversify to to get to the next level. And you're also going to have to learn how to uh, know your numbers. And that that's one of the things I'm really working hard on right now is my numbers, you know. So uh, where y'all want to start, man? Did y'all, you know, I I'll tell you where we're starting, diversification. You know, in your bio, we talked about, Mike, um, doing government work. Was that one way that y'all diversified? I mean, you had eventually one day had your first project and be like, oh, what am I getting into? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think back in um, 97, 98, when cable fencing, you know, crash barriers became um, a real big part of this industry in terms of, you know, 9-11 following all that and the government holding to some, um, you know, state uh, 
Department of State regulations, they started putting this stuff a lot in Virginia, where we're at, northern, you know, north of us, obviously New York, um, some of the major markets. And uh, John took a chance, um, you know, and, and, and dove into a cable job, and um, you know, realized there wasn't a lot of people doing it. You know, big holes, a lot more concrete. Um, you know, a little bit more detail with the setting. You know, you can't mm-hmm. can't just get away with, uh, you know. <laughs> throwing it out there and floating it off a string all the time. You got to get a little more detail. Um, so, you know, as you say with failure though, you know, the first one was terrible, absolutely terrible. And, um, you know, but we learned a lot and he learned that the, that part of the uh, industry was, you know, starting to grow and there wasn't a lot of competition, you know? And um, so your guys are the guys that are in the meetings of the interstate putting up those cable barriers. So not so much those. We don't do a lot of road stuff. Um, it's very competitive and, and held down here with regards to that. We do a lot of like Fort Knox cable. We did uh, U.S. Mint, um, you know, things like that. A lot of, a lot of uh, up-and-coming data centers up here have a lot of high security fencing on it that has uh, crash-rated cable. So similar to what they're putting in there, but theirs is to more, um, you know, deflect, I think, the energy where these are to prevent people from coming on. So they'll... They'll, uh, they'll really do some damage. <laughs> really do some damage. A little bit more than what uh, guardrails do. Wow. I never thought about it like that. I imagine there's some pretty heavy specs to follow for that kind of work to make sure that you're getting the right PSA concrete and the right diameter holes, the right depth, everything like that. Yeah, we try. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, the, the government itself has the you know, Army Corps of Engineers who has their own standard. And then you have the... Department of Defense list uh, that a lot of these companies, Ameristar, these other big defense manufacturers that have pre-engineered systems they've tested and um, and are true and tested, and those are the ones that typically get spec. And you got to hold to their standard of, of installation. Um, you know, it's it's definitely difficult. We have certain groups that can handle it and do it, and then we got guys that are just more adapt to residential or typical commercial fence. You know, definitely yeah. a, a unique um, unique installation. I bet. I bet. So you've done jobs for the U.S. Mint. You've done jobs for where else? What other big, big places? Because I'm sure you got your guys on those projects. They got to pass some type of clearance, huh? Oh, yeah. 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 We have a whole uh, slew of guys in between our Norfolk office and our Richmond office, uh, you know, mostly uh, North Carolina as well. But um, that have, uh, you know, that have badging for all these bases, you know, um, as you get closer to the president up there in D.C., it's going to get a little more stringent with it, with what you need to be uh, American citizens, et cetera. But, um, yeah, we, you know, we, we've been OK holding that. It's, you know, labor is always a problem. And when people bring up the labor problem, I, I don't remember a time that I started that we didn't have a labor problem in America. You know, um, mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't have people banging on the door every summer for internships to dig holes. You know, <laughs> uh, I wish I did. You know, my kids will do it, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, they'll absolutely do it. Um, but, you know, again, we, I think that it's hard, but it's like anything, you know, uh, failure way to success, right? You got to keep just pushing and, you know, I'll think outside the boundaries on how to compensate guys. We brought a lot of guys in from concrete that seemed to, you know, a lot of machine work. So a little different mm-hmm. than average fence job, you know, 700 feet or 600 feet of uh, six plus one, you know? Yeah. How else have you, uh, have you diversified? You know, we, I'll tell you some failure, man, since we're talking a little bit about um, failure here later on. We tried putting in solar farms. I don't know how big they are down by you and New Orleans, uh, mm-hmm. but they're, they're a pretty big thing up here on the East Coast. And uh, 
man, we, we started getting into putting the panels up, then it bled into the racking, you know, and then it was, well, you set in post, you might as well, you know, we do that. <laughs> and we took a job up in upstate New York and they, they, they hammered us, man. We start, we're supposed to start, you know, I think it was um, April. We didn't start till October. We had about hmm. four feet of snow on that thing, man. And they held us to the date and it was a disaster. So we got out of that after um, that experience. We did a few others before that that we had some success on. Um, right now, we're, this year, we're working on concrete walls, um, you know, Simtech wall too as well, that Simtech, you know, composite mm-hmm. type wall as yeah. well, as well as the rental business, man. We're trying to get into um, a little bit more diversified. We do temporary events, but just getting more into events, the bike rack barricades, things like that, huh. you know, just to kind of bring different uh, sorts of revenue, obviously, Product's always a good uh, component there as far as ownership. So did you know uh, Dan Williams when you did that uh, job up north with the solar farms? Because he's getting big in the solar farms. I, you know, I didn't. I didn't. And I would love some help up there. You know, those things. Um, we do the fence on. We'll, we'll do a lot of fence still, but we don't we don't mess with the, the installation of the farms. You know what I mean? As far as the racking, the pipe, and then put the panels up. Yeah, I think Dan's getting into it. He had uh, – he had bought these two trucks called Super Fencers, and he ended up selling them because he's out there on those solar farms and he didn't need them anymore. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, it's it's a lot up north. I mean, you get up to Maine. We've we've done some work in Maine, upstate New York, Massachusetts. It's a ton up there. They're they're very big into taking these uh, rural parts of the world, you know, of their of their state, and putting these solar farms up. Yeah. When you do those travel jobs, there's so many more variables that you have to account for. You know, it's not just as simple as, well, if it takes a couple more days, not that big of a deal. But when you've got the guys out there in hotel and food and all that stuff, uh, those travel jobs, I I try to avoid them because I, I don't really care for sending my guys out of town. Um, I know they prefer to be home. I prefer to be home. But that's a big deal when you're when you're doing that. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I'll tell you just one thing about that is typically you're going to places there's not a lot of big fence companies that can handle, you know, the sort of work. And these are big, uh, you know, big contractors that are, that are, uh, you know, that are throughout the, the 50 states. So they, they don't really have an in, you know, within the state or the area. Um, so they're looking for somebody to follow them around. The problem we felt, and this is not to blame, but you, you're starting to take what they call an EPC, a, electrical prime, prime contractor and god bless electricians man we do some operator work in-house with an operator but man they are they create more problems than they can solve so you know we found real quickly them running our job is not the best way to go like but we, we found out you know we can stick to the fence because you know we just got to worry about the civil guy but once you get inside of that you got conduit running everywhere and stuff and you got him as the main contractor uh, you know i'm all right we'll, we'll go to the other yeah, I traveled doing uh, fences for Verizon for about uh, three years, I think it was. And um, they found out that I knew how to do some site work. So I went from spending two days, three days on a project to two to three weeks. I'd show up thinking I'm doing the fence. And I'd call and I'm like, uh, there's like raw land here. There's a tower and a pad. And that's it. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to have you go ahead and do the site work on this one. I'm like, <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, we lived in hotels for for a few years, man. It's it. At first, it's exciting and it's great. You're going to new places and, 
And then eventually it's just like <sighs> another hotel, yep. you know, eating out of a microwave forever. Your uh, afternoon downtime is in a hotel parking lot on the tailgate of a truck, having a beer with the guys you work with. It, it's just a, it's a rough life. It really is, man. I was glad to be done with that. I mean, I made a shitload of money, but I was glad to be done with it. You know, that traveling's a bitch. Yeah, we. Um, go ahead. I was just gonna say we try to keep our guys on like a nine to ten day schedule. Man. You know, getting home for three, four days. You know, work. We make sure in our contracts we can work weekends. You know, etc. Just because when you're there, they, they don't typically want to see some rural part of, uh, you know, Georgia, or North Carolina, South, you know, wherever. They would mm. be home with their kids. So, you know, but you're right. It's hard, man. It's absolutely hard. It, uh, something we kind of, you know, grew into and, you know, uh, but it's constantly moving those, those labors for sure. Because some of them grow out of it, man. They just don't want any part of it. So let me ask you this, man. <clears throat> when it comes to data, I'm sure on those projects, y'all were keeping a lot of data, and that data is what helped you decide whether you were going to continue to do them or not, correct? Absolutely. 100%. So, you know, how granular do you get with your data? Because I know right now we're taking it to a whole new level and getting a whole lot more granular than usual down to how much we're getting residential, commercial, by city, what percentage of our total sales is there, how does that um, – how does that match up with our ad spending in Google? Uh, I mean, we're 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 really getting granular, and I'm sure we probably could get even more. But to me, I'm just like Jesus. How much more information do we need? Is it too much? But to me, it might seem like too much. But to somebody like your consultant who knows numbers and works off of numbers, or somebody like Clint who's a number guy, all that matters, you know. And we're finding out that, wait a second, I never used to run ads in this city. Now I'm running ads in this city, and I'm doing more business in that city than than the city that I thought was my my golden boy, you know? And then you start looking at the percentage of your sales that went there and, and so forth, and even breaking it down by not just city, but, you know, you might have a city like Covington, Louisiana that has two zip codes. So now we're breaking it off in zip codes because when we run our ads, we want to make sure we're running it in the right place, you know? And so how granular do y'all get over there at Hurricane Fence with your with your data? You know, I'm glad you brought that up. We, we just started getting really into the data mining, especially on the residential side. Commercially, we've never really had to do any more than drive tracking. You know, uh, we do it by contractor now a little bit more in depth and we do it by task order for the type of fence. So we know if we got four different types of fence on a job, we can see which one is, is profitable, which one is, you know, is really being, giving us a problem, uh, especially for bidding future jobs. On the residential side, we just started doing what you said. You know, we really, this last year and a half, two years with a business coach, we started working on you know, diving into some of that. And, and like you said, it can get too in-depth. We, we keep it simple. We realized that we needed to target market, uh, you know, specifically for us, vinyl aluminum fence. We were being more profitable with that. 
then we started saying, hey, well, where is that profitability? Where, is, where are the areas that we're tracking that give us the most amount of PPC and aluminum? And that's as far as we pretty much went with it. We, we, with that being said, our jobs this year is down probably about, um, I would say about 10% in terms of quantity of jobs, but our revenue is the same. So, you know, we've been able that's to, good. yeah, we, and, 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 uh, and overhead marketing is down a little bit because we're using it more strictly in terms of where we use it and how we use it, not just, you know, Google AdWords for everywhere. Yeah. Um, so it's been you're not, just throwing, you're not just throwing money at a, at a problem and hoping that it's working. Now, you know, I'm throwing my money in the right place. Yeah, absolutely. And with this type of with marketing today and, and, and the Internet and, and all the social media and everything, man, it's really hard to track. I mean, they just do per clicks. So you don't even know if that's real or not, at least for us. You know, I'm, I'm sure you can really have somebody hone in on that. But, man, if you're a small business or even a bigger business, to have someone just sit there and really figure out if it's real. But we just go off of sales, you know, sales and, and, and calls. You know, are we are we doing better? And right now, our closing percentage is high, really high, which concerns me because I'm like, you know, we used to be at thirty percent. Now we're about forty five percent. I don't know if the lead. You know, I just don't know if we've gotten all the bad leads out of the way. I don't know if we're selling better. I, it's, you know, that's one of the things we're probably more buying, right? What do you well, think? you know, you said something that was key. I mean, you're running a a huge company. And you said, business coach. Um, um, I hadn't seen Ron the consultant in a few months. He's been up in Tennessee because he's got some other business ventures that he's into. And he called this morning, of course, the one damn morning that I'm running late, he calls. He's like, hey, where you at? Uh, I'm like, oh, I'm on the way to the office. He's like, okay, uh, I drove in last night. I'll be at your office in 20 minutes. And I'm like, shit, I'm 30 minutes out, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, of course, it's the one morning that I'm like, all right, I'm going to get up. And Pepper's like, oh, no, no, I got a meeting to go to. So I'm like, all right, you go first. I'll just chill. No big deal. But um, he came and he went. He didn't stay too long. He just popped in and he's going to be back Friday. But my uh, my secretary was like, uh Who's that guy? I'm like, well, that's my business consultant. Oh, well, why do you need him? I said, well, if I don't have somebody to answer to, this place turns into a shit show. I got to be accountable to someone. And not just to someone, but I need to be accountable to someone who knows what the hell they're doing. And they've done it before. They've had a business, built it, grew it, and sold it. Or they're in a business or have a business and they can step away for two months and the business still run. You know what I mean? So um, Ron's that guy. And and it, it's important to have a coach. So a lot of those granular things that we're doing, they're not for me. I look only this far and then he goes deeper. And when he says, hey, I think we need to do this or I think we need to do that. I come to find out it's because he's dug even deeper into the numbers and not, and, and that's, you know, and that's another important thing too. Um, because he helps other businesses and he has his own businesses that he's doing, he has more of a pulse on the market and the feel for what's going on and what's happening out there. Hey, I'm seeing this happen over here. I'm seeing this happen here. Okay, I'm not seeing it here, but you know what? We need to brace for it in case it does come here. 
hey, you know what? We're getting away with this here and we're getting away with this. So why don't we try it here? And those things are freaking important, man, to have somebody with that kind of knowledge that you wouldn't be able to tap into. Well said. Well said. Absolutely. And, you know, I think for anybody out there, I, I know for myself, I underestimated the value immensely based off of, you know, what I think I know and what I've been successful with. Um, you know, to, to, to just to your point, they can really present information to me in a way that, number one, I understand it. Number two, I can utilize it, you know, not knowing what information I need to utilize. You know, we knew we wanted to sell more PVC and aluminum fences because we knew there was, you know, more margin in it. It was more, you know, more towards, uh, you know, for us in our in our area, it just made more sense. Wood, we always went back to wood. The wood market for us is tough. There's only one or two suppliers, so you don't have a lot of competition. Um, so it made sense, but we didn't know how to get the information to get there. He, he drove us there. And we didn't know if it was true or not. We just felt like it was true. <laughs> so he, he, along with the CFO and, and, and the accounting team, really done a good job of getting it set up to really see that. What about you, Clint? You got a business coach? We don't. Uh, so as you mentioned in the bio, you know, we're a, a family owned business, a business my parents started in 81. Uh, my my parents and I work very well together. We throw ideas back and forth. Um, I'm very fortunate to be able to work with my dad every day still, and he will toss out ideas. I will push his ideas a little bit. Sometimes, you know, while he has the experience, He's not, he doesn't have his finger on the pulse of the market quite as much as I do paying attention to the various Facebook groups or whatever's going on. What, what I'm seeing out in the day to day, watching the guys, watching which of our projects are going well, watching which of our projects aren't going well. Um, but it, that's, he's, he's my business coach. Um, and, and it works out very well for us. And then on top of it, you know, I was fortunate to go back and get that, that degree, um, those two degrees. So I, I sort of look at it as like I, I studied business at that master's level and I'm trying to apply those things into our business. So uh, who does your taxes? <laughs> <laughs> we have a CPA. So the story on that, I originally went back thinking that I might get into doing something along doing taxes or something like that. Because in this area, you know, we have a great, I don't advertise. That's how much work we have is I literally don't advertise and I'm out 16 weeks. Um, but finding those guys to go out and do the work has just gotten so difficult. I didn't want to be 50 or 60 and still need to swing the hammer. So mm. I, that's what led me to getting those advanced degrees. And my original thought was getting into taxes. And then I got into some of the classes and while it's interesting, what our government does via taxes drives my libertarian brain like mad. Uh, so I don't do our taxes. I probably won't be doing any taxes. Uh, we have a very good CPA that helps us out with that stuff. Yeah, those taxes are rough, man. My uh, my tax attorney, he'll say, oh, well, you know how the IRS is. I'm a tax attorney, and I got a special number I call, and I sat on hold for, you know, hour and a half. <laughs> you know, or uh, when all the EIDL stuff was coming out and the PPP stuff was coming out, and uh, during COVID, they were changing. You know, they were, every every week it was different. Yeah, you didn't know what you were getting into. You know, so. Um, but yeah, man. So that's how data mining has been working for us, and it's been working really, really well. 
Um, we braced for a 10% decrease because of the recession and re- or, or a correction or whatever adjective you want to use. And we didn't do chain link. We didn't do vinyl. Well, we didn't tackle a lot of commercial work either. And Ron was like, hey, look, we need to brace for making up that 10%. So how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to have to start doing chain link, period. We're going to have to start doing vinyl. Y'all are going to have to start going after uh, some commercial jobs. And just implementing the chain link and vinyl, I don't think I've included the commercial in it. It's already 6% of our sales for the year, over 6%, 6.61%. So that was a good move. Well, we haven't seen a downturn. And he's like, look, this is going to be a win-win. You know, if the economy tanks, it's going to help you eat up that 10%. And if it doesn't tank, then guess what? You just made more money. You know, so now we're we're dabbling with, hey, should we start raising our gross profit a little bit? And we're going to start testing that. You know, you raise it one point. You know, you raise your, your, uh, your profit margin one point. And the big scheme of things is really not that much money, you know, especially if you look at it on $100,000. It's not that much money, but it all adds to the pot, you know. You pay attention to the pennies, the dollars will come. Starting to sound like Sean King over there. (laughs) (laughs) And you better be willing to fail. You're going to fail. You got to keep pushing forward. Everybody wants to give up and you fail. Uh, well, yeah, man. And, and we have those meetings every every Monday morning. Um, we have a Monday morning meeting. Matt Warner uh, brought that in and was like, hey, man, you need to do Monday morning meetings. So we have a Monday morning safety slash let's see what we did last week, what we're doing this week um, meeting. And it kind of builds culture. Hey, man. Hey, Mike, what did you do this weekend? Oh, you know, man, blah, blah, blah. And it gets the guys talking because not everybody works with everybody every day. So it starts building a little culture. And I'm like, all right, let's take a look at what we did last week. And we got the, hey, y'all did a great job on this. Look at this. Bam, bam, bam. Hey, look, we can do better on this. Um, and we started, we started utilizing that Monday morning meeting and it's, it's helped tremendously. We've got a big, uh, 65 inch TV or whatever that we use. And I hook my tablet up to it and we look at things, but underneath it, there's a sign that says fail F A I L. It's an acronym. You know, it's the first attempt in learning. Mm-hmm. And I tell the guys all the time, it doesn't say sale. Second attempt, <laughs> fail, <laughs> you know? And you get a guy makes a mistake and he cost you 500 bucks or $1,000. You don't fire that guy because it's going to cost you more than 1000 to train somebody to get to the point that he's at. You know, so you just address it and address it as a team. So that way it doesn't happen again. Mistakes that. happen, you know. Yeah. We built a double gate today. We're supposed to open in, opened out. Oh, Jesus Christ. You know, when I took in a set flange post across this guy's patio and built the gate the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Guy came home. He's like, oh, I love it. My guy called me. I said, he didn't even notice. He's okay with everything. I'm like, phew. 
And so when, <laughs> whoo, yeah, thank goodness. So now I'm, I'm sitting here on, I'm sitting here talking to y'all, looking, waiting for the text to come across and go, oh, these gates are opening out, not in. <laughs> but it happens, right? What are you going to do? We all make mistakes. And my guy knew he made a mistake when I brought it up to him. I'm like, uh, that gate's not open in the right way. Yeah, it is. Look at your paperwork. I love you that. Know? Yeah. I was getting cussed at on the way to this meeting, to this, man. I was, you know, I, this is the bench business. And, you know, you just, you don't know what's on the other end of the phone sometimes. You're kind of nervous. But he said, uh, y'all out here still working. We got to turn this thing over at 8 in the morning. And you're not done. You're saw cutting loops and concrete for this burial I don't think we need them. I said, man, we have to have them, man. Somebody could get really hurt, but we don't yeah. have them. And, you know, he, he proceeded to curse me out. And, you know, you're like, man, it's just, it's a, you never know what you're going to get. And, and, you know, we failed by not meeting their schedule. But, you know, at, at the other end of it, I said, man, we're going to finish it. We always finish every job. That's, that's what we do. And we learn from it, you know, but um, not every company has that, especially in the commercial end of things. You know, they don't have the uh, same values. Well, you, you learn more at the failures than you do the success. You take one job where either as an owner, you lost money or as an installer where you made a mistake and it cost a lot more time. I guarantee you, you're not going to do that again. As the installer, you're going to remember what you did that last time that was wrong. And you're going to correct that because you don't want to do it again. As a business owner, when you have that job that you thought was a slam dunk and ended up taking three times the hours you thought it was going to, you're never going to forget that. You're going to pay attention to it. So you learn more from those failures than from the successes. Yeah, most definitely, man. I mean, I, I you know, you, <laughs> I, I, the, the, I remember the days when I used to rob Peter to pay Paul. Yeah. Right? And hey, I think everybody goes through that at some point. But you learn from it. And you don't let it happen again because, man, you could get yourself in a in a really tight spot, really tight spot. So, you know, even though you didn't fail, you're still failing because you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. And you need to learn from it. And we hope that you learn from it. And I'll say things to Dylan all the time. Like, uh-uh, let me tell you what happened. Uh, I remember this one time, boom, boom, boom. We're not doing that. Well, I mean, we can, no, we're not doing it. I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. I mean, T-shirt might not fit anymore, but I tell you what, I got the goddamn T-shirt and we're not doing it, you know, mm. and um, because I've learned from it. Yeah. So I'm hoping because of that, you know, they keep the old man around once uh, they kick me out. Maybe they'll build me a little office in the back and every once in a while they'll pop their head in and ask my opinion on something. Who knows? I like that. And the two things you said that stuck out to me are the, the culture, right? You got to have a culture that allows for it, but then also the follow-up meeting to address it. We had a we had a point there where we weren't communicating and, and addressing like after action report, you know, like you know what what went wrong on this job? Why couldn't we meet the, the timeline? Why we couldn't? You know, we'll do one with the instance I just said, you know, next Monday on our team meetings. But like we didn't do team meetings, you know. I was like, oh, it's a waste of time. We can install fence. How difficult is it? Go out and install fence. Well, you want to know what happens, man. This is what I've found. I've found that the way, the best way to address our failures is in front of everybody. And it's not to go, Clint, you did a bad job. It's to go, hey, look, we could have done better here. 
How could we have done better here? And somebody in the room is going to go, well, let me tell you what we do in that situation. Because when we did uh, Susie Smith's job, we ran into this, and we did this, this, and this. And that's probably what, what should have happened here. And I'm like, oh, really? That's how you handled it? Yeah. So I'm like, all right, Joe, you heard what Bob said? That's what we need to do. So we start learning from each other because not every crew or every crew leader knows as much as the other or has ran into that situation. You know? Yeah. We're going we're gonna to address that um, Monday morning. Had a guy go in. He didn't do his morning video or pictures. Calls me up around 1030. Hey, we got a problem. All right, what's the problem? First of all, why the hell are you calling me? You know? Sounds like Roscoe's home. You hear him in the background? (laughs) So first of all, I'm like, why the hell are you calling me? You're not supposed to call me. Oh, everybody else uh, sent me the voicemail. Okay. You're supposed to call me. Uh, He pulled the post out of the ground and ripped the wire out. Okay. Well, let me pull the job up real quick. I'm looking. Uh, I don't see any pictures from when you got there this morning, so I don't see any markings on the ground. Oh, there's markings all over the ground. I'm like, yeah, I just saw it in the video you took showing me you ripped the wire out. But now I can't really say anything because I didn't have before pictures that you were supposed to take when you got there showing that we're digging here and all the spray paint's over here. So even though you pull the wire up, it's not our fault, you know? So he missed the mark, and he's a he's a crew leader that he was a crew leader for a little while, and I took him off before whatever reason, and I stuck him back on. So he's young, and I know what's going to happen. He's not going to let it happen again, you know. But we learn from that, and we're going to talk about that in the Monday morning meeting. And you know, it's more not about his failure, but it's more about what happens if you don't take those pictures. And then I get a bill in the mail for $1,300. Yeah. How many jobs, residential jobs, do I have to do to pay that $1,300 after everything's paid, the profit that's left over? How many jobs I got to do to pay that? All because you didn't take a picture. Almost every time there's a major mistake or something that happens on a job, it's because somebody didn't follow the procedure. You know, it's very rare, probably less than 5%, that there's just something that happens. But for the most part, if there's a a line that's hit and you didn't get the picture before to prove those markings weren't there, somebody didn't do their job following their company cam procedure to take those pictures. Um, Measure twice, cut once. You know, almost any time there's a mistake, it meant somebody didn't follow the procedures that have been established to keep that from happening. Yeah, SOPs are important. Yeah. Huge, man. Y'all have a, with a company like you've got, uh, Mike, I'm sure you got some SOPs in place and you got crew leaders and people that are supposed to do certain things every morning or every day or whenever they start a certain job or, you know, who, who, keeps, who keeps track of all that, make sure all that's happening. You know, so one of the biggest things I've learned over the past couple of years is, is I've had to start to do things that I didn't want to do. I like selling fence. I like being part of the job. I like, you know, all that. We got into, you know, procedures and policies and we realized you have to have accountability. So accountability for us has been uh, 
we dialed it into just job value propositions. They're a little bit less detailed than say, uh, we're doing operational procedures for each thing, you know, sole job all the way to a complete job follow-up, you know, and everything in between. Um, but as far as the job value proposition, that, that kind of goes with being able to say, these are the key measures that are going to make us successful within the boundary of your job. And um, if you're following them, everybody has one. We have a meeting once a week, you know, based off of a tier leadership, you know, on who you're managing to just go over it, man. It's, it's like five sentences, you know, it's like maybe 25 sentences, right? But they're the most important things. Again, back to what you said, you know, did you take the picture on, you know, you're a foreman. What are you supposed to do when you get to a job? Take the picture. You know, did that happen? What, why not? Were you rushed out the door? You know, what's going on? And sometimes we find there's a deeper problem every now and again. We had a problem with the yard. We couldn't get out of the yard, you know, and then we're rushing to customers' houses. And, um, you know, it, it was one of those things. So we, we started staging jobs. That's what came out of that. We said, all right, we got to stage jobs the night before so these crews aren't right. Everybody wakes up. Everybody's hungover, right? You guys are having your bourbon right now. Y'all two ain't going to be worth the shit tomorrow. No, you know, you're going to show up in my yard pissed off. Like I, you know, did something wrong to y'all. And, you know, by nine o'clock, you'll come around. But, you know, so you have that culture where you're like, man, we're really not doing a service by making them come in and figure out all this stuff in the morning at 630 in the morning. So we we decided we're going to stage jobs. It gets them to the job. They have a little bit more time to lay things out, review some things and address the customer's issues, concerns, comments before we get started. Um, and we found that helps tremendously. Small thing, you know, and again, like you said, if you don't review it, you don't really know that some of the guys were saying that. Some of my guys were like, man, I'm just tired of getting out of it. It took me, you know, I didn't get out of it until 9.45 yesterday, you know. And I'm like, wow, I'm writing that down. I'm like, what about you, Billy? What did you get out of it? He's like, oh, man, I didn't get out of it until 10.45. Now we got breakfast first. I'm like, shit. You getting, <laughs> what the hell's going on around here? You know, what are you? You know, are we tax guys or are we fence guys? You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, <laughs> so, so we we learn a lot from from just a small meeting, man. But somebody's got to hold it, I guess, is what I was getting to. So, you know, for me and the ownership, not just the ownership, but the leadership and the management style, I, I prefer to be out there. But I know this better suits the team. So that that was a big move for me with business coach. You know, get into what needs to be done, not what yeah. I want to do. You know, what I want to do is you know sell more fencing just to. You know, yeah that's that's my problem man i'll be in the office and i'm supposed to be running the business and i'm seeing these leads and i'm just grabbing them grabbing them because I, I just love bam we got that one you know and i'll scream through the office uh-huh uh-huh i got that one you know and um and i love that you know what i don't love I don't love doing all the other bullshit that I got to do to keep the business going. I mean, I love it, but I don't love it as much as selling fence. And, you know, I'm running a business. It just so happens we're in the fence business. You know, I could do what I'm doing and run a nail store or, you know, run a beauty parlor. I don't know. But um, I, I love selling fence, man. I love sealing that deal. I love getting that customer dialed in. You know, and I tell you what, <clears throat> this is what SOPs will do for you. We uh, we use Sunlight Financial to do financing on our residential jobs. Got a customer called him up and said, "Hey, you know, this loan is three thousand dollars more than what it was supposed to be. 
and sent them over the contract, which was like seventy seven hundred, but the loans like ten nine. And so Sunlight Financials like, oh well, you signed this change order. Oh, oh well they didn't do that work. Well, you signed it. it. Doesn't matter if they didn't do it. They didn't do it. That's your problem if you didn't make them do it. Well, you signed it. So what I'm trying to get at is, is this: is we used to do change orders and not get them to sign it. Okay, yeah. Look, I'll go ahead and make a change order. I'll email that over to you. Well, convert it into an invoice and just bill them at the end of the day. And I had somebody that I was like, man, this guy's kind of squirrely. I'm going to get him to sign it. And I've been making him sign them ever since. And sure enough, if I wouldn't have had him sign that, we would have lost $3,200. So that's what SOPs will do for you. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a, a, a process. you got to have a standard operating process. Because that would have been a failure that I would not have liked. Yeah. No. You know, because sometimes you got to take those big failures. Um, I, I mean, we, we took a $2,800 hit last year on a job. Situation with a guy, problem after problem. Uh, he didn't understand the lingo. Okay, well, all right. Note on that, we maybe we need to change our verbiage a little bit. So they do understand the lingo because we're in the fence business. We understand what a postmaster is. But to a customer, it's a galvanized post. They don't know what a postmaster is. I mean, that's foreign to them. But they understand a galvanized post. They understand a post that has a lifetime warranty. They understand a post that can withstand, you know, 70 mile an hour tropical storm force winds they understand that but they don't understand what a postmaster is which is everything i just said right so um yeah man so we took a 2800 hit because it was going to cost another three thousand to get the fence the way he wanted it because he thought air quotes right that it was going to look one way but it didn't the fence was as tall as we said it was going to be. It was where it was supposed to be. Everything was exactly like we said it was going to be. But at the end of the day, when he stood at the back corner of his house, he could still see over that seven and a half foot fence that we built for him that he signed off on and said he wanted. So do you go out and do $3,000 of work extra to get 2800 or do you just cut your, t- your, your losses and run? I cut my losses. I was like, you know what, buddy? Find somebody else to finish that fence. You're not worried about this 2800? Uh, no, I'm not, because that 28 is going to turn into 58 if I got to come back. Mm. So, yeah, no, I'm not worried about the 28. I'm worried about the 58. So, yeah, sometimes you have failures like that, and we failed there. Not 100% our failure, but it was more of, the customer not communicating to us, or maybe we didn't ask the right questions, or maybe we didn't spell it out right, you know. So I start analyzing these things mm. to make sure it doesn't happen again. You know? I like that. You know, we, we came up the last meeting we had, we were, I felt like we were overanalyzing. Go backs. We have a go back list. You know, why do we go back to Miss Jones' house? 
you know, gate was warping, you know, uh, lag bulbs came out, you know, I can go through the list, but, um, you know, gate was, gate was swinging the wrong way, the dance point, right? The gate, we built the gate backwards. Uh, you know, but what we realized in some of that was we have an 80-20 principle. There's actually a book on it called 80-20, the Pareto Law. It's been around a long time, but it says, you know, basically, um, you know, for short, if, if you got if you got a problem, 80% of that problem can be solved with just you know, fixing 20% of what you're doing. You know, one solution uh, for us was like through bolting some gates, right? One time solved like, I mean, almost 60, 70% of the problems. You know, we were having the go-backs with gates. It's a simple fix, you know. Um, but then you get into the 20%, and we found that we started changing our procedures based off of the guy that's not going to take responsibility for anything he signed. So there's no point. I mean, you know, just like right. to your point, I'm going to walk away from the 28 to, to negate the 58, you know, but we're not going to change our procedures in that. We got to just ignore that and say that's a 20% rule for business. You're going to have 20% of the customers that are very difficult in I don't even know if they wanted offense sometimes, you know, sometimes I yeah. It. Yeah. Well, you know, I had to look at it cause I wanted to make sure it didn't happen again. I didn't, I didn't, you know, simmer on it, but I was like, Hey, we need to look at this. Did we mess up here? Did we mess up here? Uh, no, this was a communication violation and it was because of the customer. He didn't say to us when I stand right here and I look at my neighbor, I don't want to see over my fence. Well, hold on. You don't need a six-foot fence with a 12-inch mud board. You need an eight-foot fence with two 12-inch mud boards. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, or the customer who says, you want this guy, this is the same guy. He wanted the fence level. I said, no, it's not going to be level. It's going to flow. It's going to be even. Well, when I, and I never go out on jobs. He had me go out there. And sure enough, I said to him, uh, you know, you put a string line up here and we'll build the fence to it. He called me back and said, hey, uh, you know, I put the I put the string line up, but I, I couldn't go level because I ended up being like 12 foot in the background in the backyard. So it kind of slopes to the back. I'm like, oh, kind of like I said it had to do. Right at this point, I'm just like, fuck it, I don't care. You know what I mean? <laughs> Screw this fucking guy. I got, I got a saying. I, I don't know if you, I, I know you don't watch the show, Mike, and I don't know how much you listen, Clint. But I got a saying, man. Fuck that guy. Uh, I learned that back in 1998. Fuck that guy. So I, I'm just, yeah, fuck that guy. Let's move on. We got, we got bigger fish to fry. We got shit we got to get done, and uh, we'll just take it on the chin and 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 chalk it up to the game. You know. <laughs> <laughs> that's just me uh, fuck him. let's go get out of here move on to the next one i have my my pia price that i'll add in for those ones and it's <laughs> how much of a pain in the ass they're going to be and there's times where i add what i think is just exponentially more than i would ever need and they still sign on and it's an issue and i've had it where they sign on and it's not an issue and then that's just all win <laughs> yeah yeah i'll tell you what man i got a group of uh of reasons why i won't work for a customer and i put them on facebook the other day people said what do you look for in a customer you know one of them is an engineer come to find out this guy was an engineer mm. you know yeah um you know i don't like working for attorneys because i was just gonna say attorneys are probably on the list <laughs> um some people disagree with this man but i 
hate working for a fireman or a policeman, mainly a fireman. Because you know what? He's built a ton of fences because he works half the year, right? So that's what those guys do. But it sure is funny you got a professional coming over to build your fence, but you'll build everybody else's fence. You know? <laughs> AOL email. You got an AOL email. <laughs> Dear Jesus. <laughs> I already know that you're going to want to bring a check to my office. You're going to want to physically sign a piece of paper, you know? Yeah. You're just not going to mesh with the way we do business. You know? These are all reasons why it's good to be in the ag fence world because the ag fence customers, the majority of them, far more than 80% are just solid people. And I'm very thankful that that's the, my, the world I do business in because the most of my customers, the, the ag fence, the farmers, they're good people. You know, I don't mind doing some work on a handshake anymore because that's the kind of people you're working with. That would be nice, man. It's a different world than what you guys deal with. There's no doubt. Oh, it is, man. Look, if I get somebody writes me a check and it's got a, uh, the Christian fish on it, we cancel Christmas. Going to have problems. <laughs> yeah. right. If I get, if I get an email and um, at the bottom of the email, is in their signature, their scripture, going to be a problem every time. Yep. Or the, I don't have an email. Oh, dear. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Email. How do you even, how do you even exist in today's society? You know? So, we get, some, we, pe some people don't agree with that, but it's true, man. It is true. Yeah, we got we, we got a new guy we just uh, brought in maybe two months ago, and he said, well, what do I need to know when I'm out there? And he's a superintendent, so he's trying to you know, set the jobs up and, and deal with the customers. And we'll, we'll slowly let them get into the, the issues. But I said, as soon as somebody starts telling you how to build a fence, we're fucked. And we might as well hang it up because that's always been the case, man. The minute the, whether it's firemen, policemen, I don't matter. The minute they start saying, well, you need to do, it's like, oh, shit, we're done. You know, I mean, you know, you ultimately want to turn and say, well, why'd you hire us? You know what I mean? It's shit, you know, but then yeah. you go through the motions, right? And, and you got to go through the string line and show them that, you know, we're not stupid. The world's round. It's not, it's not flat. It's, it should be flat, but it's not. It just doesn't work that way. Wait, wait, the world's not flat? Well, we don't think so. You know, Kyrie Irving <laughs> thinks so, I think. I think Kyrie <laughs> Irving is some NBA player thinks so, but, uh, you know, you know, yeah, the rest of us think it's still round. So, yeah. Or the uh, I used to build fences guy. Yeah. Yeah. You got to love those guys. So they come outside and watch it. But anyway, back to failures, <laughs> back to data. Um, you know, makes me wonder, should I keep data on my failures? Mm. Hey, are we, are we failing too many times in this area? Are we screwing up too many times? You know, I mean, how much data do you need? Sometimes when we talk about data, it gets out of control. But there's some guys out there that are driven by data. I mean, I got a guy that builds my spreadsheets for me, okay? My son Dylan could build them, but I realized how much money it was costing me to have my son Dylan build spreadsheets and work on spreadsheets instead of self-fence. Mm. Like, uh, this is not adding up. I need you on the phone or that material from Steven's pipe. I need you bend this job. I need you 
working on, you know, figuring out this operator. I don't need you uh, working on cells on a spreadsheet. So <clears throat> I found a guy that does it for me. I'll tell you what, this cat is phenomenal when it comes to spreadsheets. And uh, he... He he has changed every everything the, the way we do things. He has changed everything, man. And the the data that we're we're tracking is is top notch. I just I don't know what to say. I know I've seen some of Sean King's uh, spreadsheets, and they're pretty freaking impressive. I don't know if you've ever seen one of his uh, if you've seen his budget spreadsheet, but you're gonna be mind blown whenever you do see it. I mean, it'll cover. I've got uh, two 32-inch ultra-wide side-by-side, and I can't even open it that wide. <laughs> but it works, right? Mm. So instead of paying my son to do that, I got a guy that I pay 30 bucks an hour to build spreadsheets, and he gets eight times more an hour done than Dylan did. You know? Well, I mean, that's an important note right there is you have to know when to look into it. Like, your specialist who who is it that's going to do the best for your business um there are things that we can do in house you know i could build a website but i'm not going to be as quick as hiring that guy to build the website um and it's an important thing especially for upstart companies where is it that you add the most value to your company do you add value when you're there clicking and clacking building your website for eight hours or when you're out there selling and getting leads in that's an important thing to consider is where is it that each of your team members is adding value to your team? Yeah. My father-in-law um, said, well, he's not really my father-in-law, but Pepper and I have been together so long. He might as well be, I mean, you don't even cut your own grass. All right. So here's the problem with that statement. If I go cut my grass, I'm going to be out there for an hour and a half. Every blade of grass is going to be perfect. There's not going to be a damn weed anywhere. You're going to ride by, and it's going to be yarded a month every week when you ride by. So for that hour and a half, two hours, and I'm cutting my grass, um, how much fence could I have sold or accomplished? Or I could pay this cat $45 a week, and he cuts it. I'm paying the $45 a week. I understand my value and I understand where my time is needed, you know? So no, I'm not cutting grass. Plus I used to have a grass company and I vowed I ain't never cutting a blade <laughs> of grass. You know, now maybe when I get older, right? <laughs> maybe when I get older, I'll be like, oh, that's all I got to do is cut grass. That's fine. But right now I'm not cutting grass. I'm not washing my car. I'm not doing any of that. Shit. I'm not pressure washing my house. It's cheaper for me to pay somebody. You know, because I got bigger and better things that need to be done. It's not that I'm being lazy. I mean, I've got jobs to sell. Mm. You know, I could sit home on a Saturday and sell $30,000 worth of jobs. Or I could go cut my grass. Uh, I'm good. You know. It's amazing, you know, it's amazing what happens when you see that value. You know, when, as, especially as a small week. When we started residential, we were, you know, probably... 15, 16 million dollar company. So, you know, we had already been doing commercial industrial and government stuff, but, um, you know, we, we had to start pretty much from scratch, you know, even though we had the resources financially in the background, but the way the systems flow are completely different. And, uh, 
you know, we realized quickly, let's put the resources behind sale, right? Like sell fence, we can install fence, we'll work it out. And, you know, we put all the resources behind that. We set up a good, you know, commission program for sales guys, and some real, you know, guys that, you know, they get in your house, your wife or, you know, somebody's buying something just the way they roll, you know, I call them professional sales guys, they ain't fence guys. I can tell you that. So we, we, we changed the game a little bit around our area from going from, you know, back, you know, guy with a, with a, you know, he's got two by, two by four dust on his, on his shirt to like this guy that's, you know, looking all spiff and all that. And, you know, looks like Clint over there and man, he comes to your house and he closes the deal. You know what I'm saying? And we wrote, we started growing astronomically because we put the resources behind that. I mean, yeah, we had to keep up with it on the back end and put up a lot of fence and, and get their, you know, get the material to come. But yeah, to your point, you know, when we spent time on what, what really created the change, man, it was amazing how much change happened. Well, you know, the other thing too is, is you got to be careful. You could be selling more work than you can build mm. <laughs> or not selling enough work. And then you start losing installers. Mm. So there's a, there's a, Fine. there's a balance there. There's a balance there. I mean, I sold the shit out of some fence in January. And Ron was like, uh, how are we going to get all this in the ground? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, no, that's a problem. Because then you start losing work. You know? So, a, a long backlog is a problem. It's a good problem, but it's still a problem. You know, my crews, I'm out 16 weeks right now. I don't want to be that deep. I, I know that there's going to be jobs that come across that I want, but they're going to go to somebody else just because they want it in eight weeks. They don't want it in 16 weeks. Well, not only that, you probably could have made more more margin on that job than some of the jobs you might have had. Those options, yes. those, those possibilities come up too. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's, it's better than being too thin, but it's still a problem. You know, during COVID, we didn't have a cap on what our guys sold, and we sold the shit out of some vents. Uh, obviously, had you know terrible problems with material, like everyone else. And um, you know, because of that, we 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 had our bottom line was down. Like I won't say it, it made it throw up. It was about five points. Our revenue was up like twenty percent. And you're like, why the hell did I do all this work? I mean, I felt like I lost. You know, every time I look at look at Clint, I'm like, man, I need to get an AG fence. You know, he doesn't look like he ages at all. I thought, even my wife said, man, you don't look good. You know, and uh, <laughs> there's nothing worse than not looking good in front of your wife and then also not making any goddamn money. You know, you're like, I did all this stuff and it didn't work out. You know, so it is, you're right, man. It's a fine line. Mike, you, you do look like an ugly broke. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm going to come look you up when I'm in New Orleans next time. I'm hey, no down. problem. No problem. But yeah, I mean, we, Hey, this is pretty funny guys. We did a zoom, uh, maybe a week ago, maybe not that long ago. I forget. I lose track of time just to kind of catch up what we were going to talk about. And it just so happened. It was like freezing cold and raining and where, uh, Clint's at up in PA, wherever the hell that is. Amityville. Right. <laughs> exactly. Godsland. Anyway. Godsland. Yeah. So, me and Mike, we're like in our offices, and Clint is sitting. He's got the fireplace going in the back. He's got like the the wool sweater on with the collar pop. All he needed was a pipe and a cat to 
It's like, what is it this was, guy it doing? It was cold that day. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike got on before you got on tonight, and Mike was like, did you notice Clint? I'm like, yeah, he looked like one of those guys that uh, you go to the store and he's got cat hair all over him. <laughs> We were cutting up before you got on. But That's anyway, um, yeah, man. So besides Mike being ugly and broke, um, <laughs> yeah, sometimes you feel like that, man. Mm. You know, you're all stressed out. People ask why I keep my hair so short because it doesn't show as much gray as I really have. That's why. You know? And, uh, yeah, sometimes I feel like, why am I doing this? I remember back... Oh, shit. When I was running one crew, I was making more money then than I was making now, it felt like. You know? We were we, we were rolling in it. Mm. You know, but there, there's that point where you get to the point to where you're, you're not going to make as much money because now all the money you're making is going to the things that matter. You're going to a building. It's going to a yard. It's going to all this stuff. So then I feel like, I think I'm right. Y'all tell me if I'm wrong. But I feel like I'm going through the desert right now. But I'm building, and eventually I'm going to come out and be like, oh, I'm back to that point where I was making money hand over fist personally, not business-wise. You know, is, is that true? Am I going to get there, guys? Please help me. <laughs> Clint, I'll let you go first, Clint. Go ahead. Give me your experience. Does it ever happen, uh, that's, that's That's tough to say. I mean, there, there's a lot of variables in the uh, the answer to that question right there. Uh, I mean, I think everybody goes through that. You go through those times where you feel like you're just knocking them out of the park. Um, you'll have a month where you're coming off of just great project, great project, great project. And then all of a sudden everything goes haywire. Uh, and, and I think that's just the ebb of flow of running a business. Um, I, I enjoy being a small business operator owner. You know, I enjoy having that mindset. I enjoy getting to be part of that. Um, a lot of people, I'm sure you both have probably heard this. Oh, it must be nice. You know, you're your own boss. You have no idea. Both of you guys know there's so much that goes on to that, but I wouldn't trade it. I, I appreciate the opportunity that, you know, that we have in front of us um, to, to provide for our customers, to provide these projects, do this fence. You know, for me, it's the fence in the buildings. Um, I appreciate that. And you, you have months where you're just knocking on the park and then they have months where, you can't seem to get anything done. It's raining all the time. You know, your crews are fighting and it's just, you kind of wonder why am I even in this position? Why am I doing this? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, <laughs> I can, I can remember, uh, hey, you said something that triggered something in my brain and I lost my entire train of thought. Um, oh, damn. I lost it. <laughs> I totally lost it, man. I zoned out for a second. Um, but anyway, getting back to uh, to overcoming failures, I think that the failures that I've had have made me who I am today. Think about that. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, the failures that I've had have taught me so much in life that – I'm kind of glad I went through those failures. Even though when I was going through those failures, I wish I wouldn't have went through them. You know? You're like, man, why I got to go through this? Why did I screw this up? 
but it's made who I am today. And that's why I don't have a whole lot of regrets in life, you know, mm. because I mean, I'm not saying I don't have any, how, how can I say that? And I sound like a, a douchebag. Um, I, I mean, when I say I don't have any regrets, it's because the things that maybe I should regret are the things that made me who I am today. Absolutely. You know, I don't know. Did that make any sense? Absolutely me. Absolutely. Yeah. So. I mean, I think some of the best things that the guys here at Hurricane taught me when I was early on was they they would literally hand me a commercial project and I was there to do residential. And I'll never forget this. The first project I got, we had, uh, we had, you know, the owner had gone after a job in North Carolina and this before we had a North Carolina office and it was about five, four hours from my house. And we were going to have to, um, because of the contract, it was a maintenance contract that had fence on it. So we had to maintain the grass for a fort down here, Fort Bragg, and it's 50 miles long of fence. And you had to mow the grass on five feet of either side. And we had a value in there. And the guy that, that quoted us ended up walking. So, you know, huh. he said, here, here's a file you can mess with. And I was like, my gosh, you know, <laughs> you know, you kidding me right now? I mean, I come from the tree business and construction and just, you know, labor and, I've been here less than, you know, about nine months. And, um, but you know, the, the, the good, I got plenty of support and, and, but I got to use back to what Dan was saying. I got to use my uh, imagination and, and outside the box thinking and, and really just dive into something that I felt like was almost like my own business at the time, but you're just so attached to like figuring out how you're going to get this done. How am I going to get this? And sometimes I, I don't give my guys enough credit that they can do that. I got to allow them. I bought my, my, my business coach, you know, allow them, the, the space to fail and 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 operate within that. Obviously, you got to keep some containment, but you know it's not a, it's not an open checkbook. But at the same time, I remember that value to me. And, and it, it is those are the jobs that stick out to me. I hate to say it, back to what Clint said. Those are the jobs that I talk about. You know, when I run into Dan next time at the Fed show or something, you know, or you know, I'm like, man, let me tell you about this one that just kicked the shit out of me. You know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> I had to listen to a guy half my age tell me how I did everything wrong. You know, uh, there's nothing yeah. more, you know, gratifying than your ego getting stomped on right in front of everybody. And you're like, holy shit, this is great, man. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, those those are the moments I really, I wouldn't, I would let my kids go through. That's how much, how much they mean to me. You know, uh, they, they, you can create who you are. Yeah. Well, guys, y'all got anything else you want to add to the, uh, to this conversation before we shut it down? I think we had some good no. talk. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. I, I appreciate everything. I learned a lot from talking to y'all both in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, man. I love how uh, I sat there and I was like, hey, have you ever heard of Joe Everest? And you're like, uh, no. <laughs> you ever heard of my Fence Life show? Uh, no. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, where's this guy been? Under a rock? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, 100%. Yeah, well, now you need to go ahead and uh, hook us up, man. Go uh go uh follow my fence life on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and uh click that little auto download podcast button so that way it pops up in your library and you can start listening, you know? Come on, man. Whatever you say. So all right, guys. Well look, man, we appreciate y'all tonight. We appreciate the show. We appreciate everything that happened. Uh, especially to our sponsors. We want to thank uh Fence Track, we want to thank D D Technologies. 
uh, SWI Supply uh, Expert Stain and Seal. Y'all see it right here on over my shoulder every week. We're uh, kicking ass and taking names with their product, and they make it so easy to do business with. Uh, my salesman, BizRater.com, CleverFox.online. So, hey guys, uh, we love you, and uh, y'all keep on fencing. Thanks, man. You guys have a good night. Appreciate that. You've been listening to My Fence Life. Yes, we like to have fun. Beer, bourbon, and business. And although we have fun, we take our business very seriously. Dan Blanc is known as the Fence King, and he's been providing high-quality fence solutions since 1999. He's connected to industry leaders, business leaders, financing experts, and marketing gurus that will be on the show to talk about their success stories. To find out more about us, hit the website at myfencelife.com. Listen to the show wherever you consume your content. We are everywhere. Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcast. See you next time on My Fence Life.